You're listening to Wait On Purpose Podcast, the show for single women who want to overcome emotional discomfort with being single, understand the fear of being alone, and transform it to self-love while celebrating this season with joy, purpose, and passion. Each week, we'll explore topics on how to optimize your season of singleness and become who you want to attract. Now, here's your host, Tracy Noel, the introverted empath. Hey, this is your host, Tracy Noel, and I am back with another episode of Wait on Purpose. And this is a podcast about overcoming emotional discomfort with being single, understanding our fear of being alone, and transforming it to self-love and self-care all while uh, celebrating the season with joy, passion, and purpose. I think nowadays women such as myself, we are choosing to be single. Uh, One reason for me is that so we can heal and grow and build and kind of like optimize this season so that we become who we want to attract. Um, And so just imagine, you know, like how different relationships will evolve and um, really connect if there were like this limited baggage and insecurities brought to the table when we sat down with someone else. And just imagine if we brought like our, our own plates and our own chairs. Hell, imagine if we brought our own table to relationships and just how different it would be if we became whole and complete and secure in who we are um, instead of depending on someone else to um, bring that out of us. So um, one gentleman explained it as like completing our own puzzles before we start another whole new puzzle with someone else. And I thought that was a great way to put it. So, um, I don't know. I think when this happens, it it opens up space uh, to connect with a man on a deeper level. I don't know about you, but I've noticed a lot of relationships are just very shallow and like surface level nowadays. Like there's no depth to them. in my opinion, I mean, I've noticed this even in my last relationships that there's like a decline in relationships that have substance. And what I mean by substance is like, I don't know, like those deep, spiritual, healthy, committed relationships where both parties are thriving and growing spiritually and emotionally and financially and and such. And I think one of the reasons out of many is um, just the lack of connections or uh, the lack of opportunities that we share to elicit these deep thought-provoking conversations that make space for both people to be honest with who they are, what they need, uh, what are their triggers, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, um, and even what are their desires and yearnings and goals. And one thing that I know we need as women when it comes to men is presence. And I feel a man can't be present in any situation that he doesn't feel comfortable and safe and vulnerable. And I know that's how um, we feel as women. So I don't know, I thought it would be uh, very dope to bring in a male's perspective. And in addition to my thoughts and my perspectives and 
uh, those of single women who are optimizing their season of singleness, I wanted to bring a single man to this table to have these conversations as well. And I don't know, I understand most people may feel like these conversations are more effective with someone who you want to date and build, but I also think it's important to just have these conversations just off the strength and in this non-judgmental -judge, um, space. And um, yeah, I mean, one thing I want our men to understand is that it's okay to be vulnerable and to talk about how they feel and what bothers them or what excites them you know, without being judged or emasculated by society and, and women especially. And I think when men are comfortable with being themselves, this is my opinion, and are able to express their feelings and, and understand their power and who they are, I think it will pour out to us women, which will pour out to our children. And I think that's where the true power is because change, chains will not have to be broken if they are never created in the first place when it comes to our children. So I want to learn and I want to connect with them. I want to, um, you know, just have these deep conversations with these men. I love men. I think they are dope. And I think we are so different in how we approach life and relationships. And I think that those differences needs to be embraced and celebrated and appreciated and discussed. Um, so these are perspectives of men who I respect, who I admire, who I feel are shattering the myths and uh, just the images that depict them as like this antagonist to this plot, right? Um, these are men who I feel are changing the narrative and who are also optimizing their season of singleness um, just by building their kingdom with the stones and the rocks uh, and the dirt thrown at them by society. Um, and so I'm just passionate about men and women, particularly black men and women, being able to have these open dialogues with one another that, I don't know, we tend to sweep under the rug, which then I think causes like these real surface level um, and shallow relationships. So yeah, there's something powerful to be had when we can appreciate and celebrate each other. Uh, so my first guest is um, a man who was all about kingdom building. And um, I met him actually when I signed my, my sons up for this mentoring workshop that he um, created and, and hosted last fall. It's called uh, Manifest Rites of Passage. And um, Manifest is like this workshop series that guides young men through a rite of passage towards their highest potential and power. But this particular curriculum um, actually incorporated hip hop and literacy, uh, literacy as a vehicle to explore the values, roles, expectations, struggles, and opportunities of manhood from not only a mental health um, perspective, but from an African center perspective. So it was a very powerful and necessary workshop. And uh, Dr. Cartman, he also uh, received a PhD in clinical and community psychology. He is currently the program director for Real Men Charities. He is also the author of a book for young black men about manhood and relationships. So please welcome Dr. Cartman. How are you today, love? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for creating this platform. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for sharing this space with me. Um, before this podcast, I know you were asked to choose like three random numbers. And 
those numbers corresponded to like three random topics that we would discuss. But before we get into those questions, I wanted to learn more about who you are and mm -hmm. uh, what you do. But first, um, like what is something that you are celebrating and that you are proud of in your life at this time? Can you share that with me? Mm, I am proud of myself for um, finding ways to keep moving and continue the work. Um, to part of my work is part professional, but a lot of it is very personal. I have my own sons, um, four and seven. I have a big family, so when I think about what it means to contribute to the wellness and the the, the um, changing the narrative of of manhood, creating opportunities for safe spaces to be authentic and to be our best selves, that. You know, the, the PhD and the psychology stuff, like that's just one part of it, but it's really much more about making it so that my sons have a blueprint for how to do this mm. and have other men in their space to connect with so that we're not just starting from scratch every generation. Um, one of the things that I hate the most about some of the workshops that I do and some of the times I'm, you know, in front of young men is that it's, it's clear that I'm saying things that they've never heard any other man say before. Mm -hmm. um, that it, it makes me come off as like special, unique, and I don't want to be special. And, and I and I work really hard to not even present myself as like one of the good guys, but just I'm a human being. I'm a man, just like everybody else, working stuff out. And I do it with a lot of transparency. I share a lot of my mistakes. I fall. I get up, um, and that becomes a part of what the work looks like. To just open myself up to being a human being with other human beings that are struggling and trying our best to do, you know, what we can, what we, what we were created to do in this world. And in doing so, you know, lots of bumps and bruises. And, it's, you know, and I understand why, why men don't always share and don't be as transparent because it gets used against you. And then people mm -hmm. are looking, people in the world want to find like guilt or innocence. They don't necessarily want to find how do you improve? How do you want to do better? They, people just want to feel like they're right or better and so that they have to make other people wrong. And so yeah. in the process of that, just life got really difficult over this last year and a half. And it's been a struggle to keep moving forward, but I'm proud of myself for continuing the work, for continuing to um, respond to what I consider to be the authority in my life who has plans for me still. So I have to be obedient to that. Um, but my sons don't care if I get depressed or if I want to quit. Like, they still need me. The community still needs me. So I'm still writing. I got another book I'm working on. I'm still doing the weekly men's sessions. Still in juvenile detention centers a couple of days a week. Still in high school. Still just moving forward. And part of what I think is a part of the breaking the myth of just men posturing and pretending like everything's fine and moving forward is that I get to go in these spaces and have these conversations with men and I get to be very open about, like, this is, it was hard for me to come here today. Like, I really wanted to just stay in bed all day, but uh -huh. you were you were important enough. Um, but, like, don't get confused that, you know, you, they introduced me with the doctor and the bio sounds nice, but life is hard. And it's, it's vicious and, it's, and it doesn't let up once you, you know, there's no moment where you figure it all out yeah. and everything, and then you just coast. Um, yeah. So in the midst of that, we, I, I'll share some of the things that I'm using today to move forward so it's not a lecture from a like from the distance it's really just man-to-man person-to-person we just we in this together um, yeah. so I'm proud of myself for that I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I didn't 
there's times when I wanted to give up, you know, and I think that everybody has those moments where you just mm-hmm. want to take the easy route. Um, but this ain't the world for that. And I, don't, and I don't think that we came here on this plane to experience easy sometimes. I, mean, I think things should be comfortable and it shouldn't be always a struggle, but I think that part of the lessons and the strength we gain happens through the challenges and overcoming them and then the character that is required to be able to face them with integrity and discipline and courage. So it's all, it's, it's all the lesson, I think. I think it's just we, we're here to experience and to grow and learn and, and, and hopefully teach others. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm, I'm really hope, I'm excited about people having, creating more platforms to have these discussions. Um, so, cause it's one thing to have your own isolated process and learn your own lessons. But then I think that, um, I think people are more aware in social media and the podcast world and the think, think pieces are allowing people more of opportunities to share these lessons so that, you know, other people don't have to learn them directly. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of that conversation. Absolutely. And I'm like, that's definitely something to celebrate and be happy about. I think that you are needed. So thank you for just showing up and, and, and being that, that vessel that men need. Um, yeah, thank you. And, and one thing that I say is, um, you know, I've learned to list some, some, you know, from my experiences, but I've learned so much from other people's stories and just how mm-hmm. they show up. And so right. that's the reason why I did want to open this podcast to other people. Um, So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Um, And you have obtained an undergraduate degree from Hampton University and Mm -hmm. a PhD in clinical and community psychology from Georgia Mm -hmm. State University. So um, what inspired you, though, to get into the the modality or the, the profession of psychology? Like what sparked that interest for you? Um, I was always into people's stuff. So even I remember in junior high, that sixth grade, I was a part of the peer mediator council mm-hmm. um, where we got to, you know, hear our peers and talk through and listen and try to figure out and piece together. I was always that kid where I like to listen. People came to me to tell me about what was going on in their lives. And I, I was fa- always fascinated with people's decisions and just their narratives. Um, and to a certain degree, trying to find ways to help people. But really, the, it was much more about a curiosity about how people work. Yeah. Um, so once I found out there was a field called psychology, I took a class in, at the end of high school, my senior year, and it just everything kind of clicked. And I, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I wanted to be in the helping profession. My dad was a doctor. So I always admired him and his ability to help people. I would see people come into his office. He was a chiropractor mm-hmm. and be, you know, in pain or broken or struggling and then leave feeling better. So I was always inspired by that. Mm-hmm. If I was going to do work, I wanted to do work where when people came to me, they left feeling uplifted or clearer or stronger somehow. So, um, but once I realized that my, my skill sets weren't as much in medicine and biology uh, and psychology fell into my lap, I just stuck with it. I've been doing it uh, ever since. I switched into the major at my freshman year in, um, at, uh, at Hampton. And once I then discovered in the midst of studying psychology in general, just a study of, of the mind, I found some mentors at Hampton that put me on to black psychologists. And so then it opened up a whole new world of people that were really looking at the damage done to our minds and our psyches and our communities and our relationships and 
the deliberate things that we have to do to rebuild and, and reconstruct ourselves and our families uh, because of the, the specific traumas that we experienced. So uh, then, you know, that just connected to a bigger life mission around the liberation of African people and specifically looking at mental health as one of the aspects that needs very particular type of attention. So um, I feel like there's so much work to be done and, you know, um, different angles to do it. And I have a, you know, a variety of skill sets from drumming and photography and, you know, love music and spirituality and fatherhood now. And and all of them fit within uh, ways to think about creating a world and, and, and communities that are full of joy and life and healing and opportunities to connect and build. Um, so the psychology just fit within like what felt like my life purpose. Yeah. So let's stick with it. Yeah. And I see that you're passionate about it. Um, it, it, it shows. And like I said, it, you're needed. You're, you're so needed. Um, and so doctor, you are also like the program director of real man charities. Tell us more about this mm-hmm. organization and its mission. Real Man Charities is a nonprofit that started roughly 30 years ago. It's best known for doing um, an annual Father's Day event called Real Man Cook. Mm-hmm. Started in Chicago. Um, the founders, Yvette Moyo and Kofi Moyo, were just recognizing even 30 years ago that the narrative about black men was such negative and just, you know, just disappointing and, and men are endangered or missing or. You know, so that that when you speak when you speak a certain thing like our, our words have power, and so when you speak that, then it brings that to life, it manifests that. And so yes. they will, they wanted to speak something else to the world, to the community, and use Father's Day as a platform to celebrate men, to um, to identify men that are serving and protecting and, and providing for their families throughout the year to come on this day to do that, not for their families but for the community and do it in a way that was fun and there was music and activities and nutritious food just to feed the mind, body, and soul and center men as, as servants of the community. So they've been doing that for 30 years and they brought me and my brother in to help um, usher into the, the next generation and, and move beyond just the, the one day event and think about what opportunities can we create throughout the year to provide spaces for men to be well, to connect and to build. So we just bought a space called the Quarry on the uh, yeah. southeast and south shore. Mm-hmm. So it's now Black-owned space in the middle of, you know, a community that's up for grabs. So as we complain about gentrification, uh, Yvette Moyo say, well, the solution has to be ownership. We have to yeah. buy property. So we have space. We have a home base. It gives us a chance to do activities and create. We've done, you know, literacy festivals and Black male healing expos and have the weekly sessions that you and your son have been to and there's jazz and blues every week and the yes. art gallery. So it's yes. just the cultural soul of South Shore is what we're calling it. Um, and so we just have an opportunity to connect with some elders to, um, to, to, to combine the food and the manhood and the drums and all of the arts and cultural things that, are, again, are part of a healthy lifestyle and um, create space to enact that. So I'm very excited about the work that we're, we're doing with Real Maturity. Yeah, and I and I um yeah I love the events that you guys host. I know you guys hosted a literacy um book mm-hmm. book workshop that my my both my sons really adored. So, um, 
Now you wrote a book called Ladies Man, and that's L A D apostrophe S. Man, mm-hmm. it's a conversation for young black men about manhood and relationships, which um, I gave to my son for his thirteenth birthday. So thank you for mm-hmm. signing that. Um, what is what is this book about, and what was the inspiration and your goal behind writing it? Um, the book was born maybe five years ago. There was a couple of things happening. I was in Connecticut at the time, and ever since I started doing therapy, even as an intern in school, everywhere I would go, they would send me the, the black boys because there weren't a lot of black men doing therapy in any mm-hmm. places that I went. And so that became my, my caseload over and over again all day. I would be talking to black, mostly teenage boys about life and relationships and school and whatever was coming up. And I just kept finding that they were, again, not having opportunity to think and learn about themselves and to have insight of our own emotional intelligence and historical context and, you know, goal settings and visioning, those kind of things. So I wanted to put those conversations in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the books that were, I, was, I was in a book club at the time and, and it was, I was the only man in, in, in the book club. And we were reading the conversation, uh, Hill Harper book. And there was re- more, you know, maybe a year or so before that, Hill, uh, What's the guy's name? Steve Harvey had wrote the book. Uh-huh. Um, and so it just occurred to me that even when men write books and they're being vulnerable and honest, that they're still writing to audiences of women. Um, and the women are still, you know, the gobbling the stuff up and, and watching the, the TV shows and having book clubs and dissecting them and having conversations amongst themselves about how to, even what this podcast is about, how to, you know, use their moments of singleness to build themselves up, to be their best selves, um, and to figure out, you know, how to be healthy partners in, in, in relationships and be healthy mothers. And as I was watching that happening, um, it just occurred to me that if no one's simultaneously building the boys up or creating material to help guide the young men, that, like, who are the women supposed to partner with if we're not, if there's no parallel process, if there's if the, the conversations in the barbershop aren't as rich and, and, and meaningful as the conversations in the beauty shop, um, then there's just going to be an imbalance where men will continue to be ill-prepared for relationships and we won't have opportunities to have thought about the things that, you know, women are almost socialized to think about in terms of partnerships and plan house and, um, you know, be, being the kind of women that, are in the world to attract a good man, but men not even defining for ourselves what that is and coming together amongst ourselves to train young men to, to be that and to provide models for that. So the book was just a, as a, a one response to the lack of conversations targeted to young men specifically to help them be good partners and good men and good husbands and good fathers. Um, and using literacy specifically because one of the things that was also happening was I was looking at the numbers of literacy for black boys. And the last the time I looked, 2015, um, on average, is about 10% of black boys could read at the at just like basic level. Um, in Chicago, is like 7%. Places like Detroit is like 3%. And so if there's a system in place where the schools are not preparing the young men to just basic read at, at, at proficient levels, um, then there also must mean that there's a, you know, a couple of things that, that need to happen to respond to that. One of those things I thought was to create books written with them in mind, 
that was written in conversational tone, you know, no jargon, uh-huh. just so a boy could pick up a book. So a mother could buy a book for a boy and they open it immediately realize it's for them. Like somebody yeah. had them, them specifically in mind and bringing together combinations of conversations that I had with my elders and my mentors and studies that I've done and books that I've read just to distill that, translate that into a language that they can connect with um, so that we can, you know, connect the threads and also prepare for a new generation of of good partners and and family. Awesome. And I mean, Dr. Abari, you, you do a lot. Like you are not only living inside or operating in your circle of influence, I, I think you're tapping into the circle of concern um, and you're really making waves and changing lives and really uh, building up men. So that's a lot. So how do you, uh, like, how do you pour into yourself and, and like kind of center yourself so that you're not, because it is, it can be, it can get draining, right? When you're Mm -hmm. doing so much work for other people, but how do you just kind of take that space for yourself, rejuvenate and get back out in the world? Um, well, part of it is when I create spaces for healing, I have me in mind. Mm-hmm. So it's really not so much that I have clients that come to me to an office and then I am, you know, not considering the relationship that we have and someone is coming there served by me. But like the, the, the circle you brought your son to, for example, um, like I love to drum and also I wanted to share my love for drumming with the community and for with young men that may like it or not like it or just may could have bumped into it just that, that day. Um, and so whether they come or not, uh, I, I am having, it is, it is my like restoration in the midst of the healing circle that I just happened to coordinate, but I am being fed by simultaneously. And so that's, that's generally true in most of the work that I do. Like, and, and I have to work really hard to maintain the type of work where I don't really have a lot of bosses. Um, I get to do what I want to do. I get to speak about content that is important to me. I don't tiptoe around things. And so when I'm looking for music, uh, I'm listening to music like hip-hop, for example, that I, that I genuinely enjoy. And then I bring it to a group of boys and I share it with them. So then we have a conversation with them and I've really enjoyed the conversation. Like I really, like I, it gives me life to just be engaging with young people. Um, so it doesn't feel like work most of the time. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't clock in nowhere. Like, you know, I'm not making a whole lot of money, but the, 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 the compromise is everything that I do, I enjoy doing. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like as much draining as it could if I was, you know, trying to aspire to be some other type of psychologist or working in the academy. Um, like I, I avoid the, the typical PhD route kind of stuff. I don't do the conferences. Like yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't wear the suits and ties. Like I just I get to be myself, engage with young people and learn every time I'm doing it about myself and about ways to be a better father for my children. Um, so it's always, it's always benefit. Like it's always mutual benefit. Um, so that's one 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 approach to the work that helps me sustain myself. But I also am very, you know, 
attentive to my own needs and I take breaks and I sleep when I need to sleep and I go see a lot of music. I went to two concerts today. I went to a World Music Fest to see a Griffin band. Um, And then I went to a jam session back at the quarry afterwards. And like I I, I live the life that I want to live, like very freely. Um, I read books I want to read. Like I do things that fill me up. So. Well, that's good to know. Um, you are raw and authentic, and it's good to know that you are pouring in yourself. And so, like, even with me, like, I really feel like teaching and coaching and, like, and, and being healers, um, we, you know, we do teach what we need to learn and what we need to heal from. It's like teacher and student type of um, thing. So, yeah. So, good. So, let's get started with the three topics that you chose. Um, one of them is vulnerability, the other is submission, and the last one is dating single mother. So, my first question is, um, um, what, do men look at vulnerability as a weakness or strength and why? And before you answer that, I just want to put my two cent in because one thing that came up for me um, was just how women are um, taught or conditioned, I guess, to explore their emotions. And this starts like at a Mm -hmm. young age. And I think like men are not. So Mm -hmm. to me, it brings on this concept that men are supposed to be like these one dimensional beings, either happy or sad, or like you said, Mm -hmm. guilty or innocent. And you see examples like this um, when a little girl falls and she scrapes her knee and, you know, we're instantly rushing to her and are you okay? And, you know, um, giving her all this attention and a little black boy, he falls and it's, you know, get up and be tough or man up. Don't cry. I mean, he can have a finger hanging off and bleeding, you know, five years old and we telling him Mm -hmm. to be brave. Right. And not to sit with that emotion. So do you think that this has contributed to, not only why men are not too quick to fall in love or get into relationships, but also more importantly, why they see vulnerability as this sign of weakness when, in my opinion, it's a fact, it's like a, a sign of, of strength and just being a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that we are, you know, just as you described, socialized different and not giving as many opportunities to explore the full breadth of human emotions. Um, and so what I, what I end up saying in the older children, um, teenagers and young men is a very restricted amount of permission to express really just anger and that anger couching a range of emotions, sadness, hurt, disappointment, shame, embarrassment. It, it just gets funneled through anger. Mm-hmm. And so you see the anger, and anger does a very particular thing to the, the community and the families and the people around you. It pushes you away. And when you see anger, you say, okay, wait, no, let, me, let me get away from him. Like, I don't, he, he, don't, he don't need to be bothered right now. But when the anger is, is really masking hurt, because hurt or disappointment or sadness conveys a different thing. So when you, even the, the, the story you tell about a, a, a little girl falling and then people come around there, they come, they come to you, they comfort you, they, they console you because sadness and hurt does that to the people. Like it just naturally taps into the kindness and the empathy around you and the compassion of, of your family and loved ones. But anger does the opposite. And so when, when men are, training, are trained to only be able to express anger, then they never get the compassion and the consoling and the, and the 
camaraderie that we need to mend those places. And so we end up just piling on hurt and we end up never resolving the, you know, and they could be minor moments that uh, create disturbances or disappointments that I think is, you know, is part of life that we should learn to deal with and, 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 and endure and be resilient and, and, and grieve and cry and, and then move on from and learn from. Um, but most men miss that, those opportunities, those, those emotional sort of moments where we're supposed to be building the strength, the resilience internally, the internal fortitude. And so we just, we ignore it, we push it away, we pretend like it's not real, uh, we stuff it, uh, we drink it away, or we sex it away, or we violence it away. We have all these things that we do and then it just it explodes as anger later down the, later down the line. And in this system, the anger at school turns into suspensions, detentions. Mm-hmm. Outside of school, it turns into imprisonment. Like all, we have responses to controlling the anger, um, and but we we have not developed community, family system responses to providing compassion for the things that we all know life does to everybody. But young boys, I think, have a particular target, targeted experience, and particular attacks against. And so because of that, you know, the boys grow up without the language for sadness, without the permission, without the safe space. And we, I, I know for myself, I see lots of models and grow up see, seeing a bunch of men who have, are practiced in just the presentation of everything's cool. Yeah. Um, like I saw, you know, I, as an adult, I can look back at my father's life. And like, I know he had to be going through it. Like, I know he was stressed. I know he was going through, you know, his own sadness, his own fears, his own shames. I know he had to be just because of what I know about his life and what I know what it means to live the kind of life he was living. I never saw none of that. Like, I don't, I never saw him. I maybe saw him cry once and I was, I was probably a fluke. Like, I never saw, I never knew what it was like for him to struggle emotionally and how he endured it and how he, how he overcame it. And so that's the lesson that, we need to teach the young man not to not to avoid it, not to ignore it, but like you get your heart broken and it happens and then you move, you know, you move through it. You you, you lose your friends and you have to grieve it and then, you know, life life is gonna be what life is gonna be. Um, but the men aren't allowed to like face it directly, endure it, sit with it for as long as you need to sit with it, and we we skip the whole thing. And yeah. in skipping that, we miss the lessons. Um and part of the lessons is also just like Almost like, like exercise, like a, there's a physical strength that that can only come through experiencing the pain and then living long enough with the pain to know that it doesn't last forever. That you can endure it. That like it goes away eventually. But you gotta you gotta live with it yeah. for that to be true. If you smoke immediately, and right now they popping pills. Like if you just if you just immediately get rid of the feeling of the pain the emotional pain then you never give yourself the benefit of knowing that you can live with it that it doesn't stay that you face it you struggle with it you wrestle with it but it, it goes away like life moves on and so yeah. I, there's a there's a generation of men that are that are, that, are, that are missing that muscle that internal fortitude muscle that's allowing them to you know live life fully and so that's the that's the that is the hardest part about what I think is is happening to the boys. Just watching that 
process over and over again. And and I bump into them in jail just because that's where the process leads them. But yeah. we try to rebuild and we try to go back and, and, you know, give them permission and give them examples. And I try myself to be a model of what it means to be vulnerable and be, do that in a strong way um, and show how my vulnerabilities um, were, were powerful, how they helped me see more clearly how the, the insights that I gained from them, um, the communities and the support systems that I was able to, to gather because of them. Um, and, and, and talk through like the times when I did not be vulnerable and like just walk through what happens when you don't, they just you stay isolated and, and you pretend and like, and, and men don't like that idea that they've been, that they're, they're being fake. Like the boys say, Oh, I'm being hundred. Keep it real. Like they, they say these phrases, but once you like break it down, then they get to see, no, I'm actually been lying to myself. Yeah. They're lying to everybody else. Like, you know, that's not what's cool about that. What's manly about pretending about lying like why do you feel like you got to do that um and particularly for the young boys like you know once i can show them i can see right through it like you the anger and, and the posture and the violence and the, even the sex like i can like i hear you and, and i know you think it sounds cool and men typically don't check it but here this ain't that conversation like i, I hear it but i also remember what you had said last week when you told me about your disappointments or your hurts or your pains so like and I, and I think that they're connected somehow right yeah. Um, and so right now when you say, I don't care, I don't trust no, no, you know, no bees or I just, you know, I don't need nobody. Like I, I know you're saying that now because when you needed somebody, they weren't there for you. But that doesn't mean that's always going to be true. I know you got your heart broken. I know. So now you don't trust nobody, but let's deal with the fact that like that hurt and it's unfortunate and it, it was probably going to happen again, but it's worth the risk of like, reaching out and open and taking your guard down like all oh, these, these are conversations that again i see over and over again they aren't having with any other men so it has to be a culture shift for for more men to 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 be brave enough to be vulnerable and to see that as power and see that as strength and i think that we're in that direction um but i think that that is happening with my age men and older uh-huh. you know, a certain type of maybe an academic kind of a man um, but it's not reaching the, the boys in the hood, like the, the, the street soldiers, the, the street fraternities, like those boys, like just the regular average Chicago kid ain't reading the stuff that they're not on the blogs. They're not, you know, they're not, they, they, that this conversation, the shifting the culture of masculinity isn't really touching them at all. Right. So we got to bridge, bridge that somehow. We have to bridge that gap. And so my, my next question was actually like, what do women have to do with their sons, especially because I know it starts, it starts at home. It's, it starts when mm-hmm. they're young. Um, so what do we have to do for, you know, the men we date, our friends, maybe our cousins, our uncles, what can we do to encourage them to be more vulnerable without making them feel weak? Like how can we take accountability for that? I mean, I think that what you're doing is, is exactly it. I saw, I saw you posting, just a couple of days ago about the hundred black men thing mm-hmm. just, and not that, you know, any particular one organization is going to have all the answers, just like no particular mentor or man or teacher or coach no, no one, anything will do it. But what I see you doing with your sons is exposing them to a, to a variety of different types of men. Mm-hmm. So they will pick up something bits and pieces, and then they will combine them into this superman you know, version of, of, of a, of a model 
that they can say, well, you know, I met this guy and I, it, ain't, it ain't fit me. And I, you know, I see where he was coming from. But um, I saw I met another guy, though, and I like what that made more sense. But he didn't have this. But then another guy that had this. So, like, men just need a, a menu. Like, young men need to see a menu of other men living life in, in ways that have diversity of, of success and diversity of failures that they can learn from. Um, so it becomes the responsibility of the mothers to to do that work. To, and, and, and it is work. Like, I, you know, whatever whatever day that was that you took your boy to the wellness thing or brought him to my thing, but you could have been in other places. And and I know the boys are kicking and screaming and y'all, you say, you know, you say, I want to take, take you to this men's group and drum. And like, I know at home y'all having these conversations, like, I, I would rather be playing video games or, mm-hmm. or feel like it. But like it, the, the work right now in this moment of just putting them in the car and trying to create incentives and say, just take them, let's go to the seminar. I'll take you to see a movie later, like making these compromises that like it really benefits the whole system later, the family, the community, like everybody benefits from doing the work of just making our kids do what we know they need to do yeah. and not being so, I don't know, sometimes lazy Lex, or yeah. afraid or just yeah. like, you know, go with the flow because the go with the flow exposes them to so many other particularly with social media there's so many other influences so many yeah. other voices telling them how to be men and showing them what man, manhood looks like and right now they can put earphones in you don't even know what they're listening to all the time and they got little computers on their phones and so they're just constantly exposed to these other images and ideas that don't come from us yeah don't come from our communities that have other agendas that are connected yep. to Capitalism, profit centers, and white supremacy. I mean, all these other, you know, other hidden agendas. Um, so it, we have to do the work. We have to, we have to take our boys with us when we go to these seminars. We have to expose them to as many things. If they bored, they bored. If they, if they fuss, they fuss. Um, but they're, they're, they're learning the whole time. I, 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 I do lectures a lot of times. I go into schools and I see a kid in the back with his hoodie on, his head down. And then afterwards, that'll be the guy to come up to me and was like, "Man, I really appreciate what you said." Mm-hmm. Right? Like, don't don't get don't get distracted by their adolescence like angst. Like, don't you know what I mean? Don't don't get too frustrated just because they're not kicking and you know what I mean like because they're not like happy and, and smiling when you take them to the thing. It's exactly. Just, you gotta be consistent about that. Like, cut, take them to the stuff over and over again. Um, think about it like medicine. Yeah, I truly agree with that because I know, um, you know, it's one of the challenges of being a single mother is um, just being mindful and conscious of what type of energy I bring around them because they are very Mm -hmm. impressionable. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I really regret that really, really hurts me is that earlier in life, they were exposed to abusive men. And so I am mm-hmm. constantly trying to erase their memory mm-hmm. from the men that I was, you know, very naive to bring around them at an early yeah. age where they saw, you know, being on their mother or, you know, do, you know, whatever. So I'm, I'm like, like once I swallow my pride and, and say, okay, I have a village out here, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the men who, you know, help me bring them into the world, but I, I still right. have a, a, a village of men who they can look up to and, and, and see that there is, you know, other types of men out here that they can aspire to be. So, right. Right. Um, and so we'll go right into um, the second topic, which is <laughs> dating single mothers. I know 
um, you know, we may not have the father's children in our lives. And um, more times than likely, we are aware that we have made these poor choices with choosing who to lay down with. Um, you know, and, and like, just speaking on experience, um, I may have even saw the red flags before I got pregnant and just kind of ignored them um, coming from like, this place of insecurity or just wanting to be validated or loved. So um, after forgiving myself, one thing I've come to realize is that, um, you know, when you know better, you do better, I guess. And, you, you know, you, you learn, we make choices from where we are spiritually and, and mentally. And those choices may not be in alignment with where we have evolved to now and who we may want to date and become involved with as we become more seasoned. So, you know, or more conscious or wiser or confident. Um, so my question um, for you, cause I don't think men, you know, I don't think that they see that. Like they don't, you know, they don't see, okay, yeah, well, this woman, you know, she might have made some poor choices with, you know, her baby father. Mm -hmm. so, so you said poor choices in. twice. I don't like poor choices. What what should I use? I don't like poor choices. Poor choices, because the truth is, the choice you made to connect for however long you connected with that man is the only way your son would be alive. There's okay. no other. There's no other scenario in which that boy was would have been created. You could have made a choice to be with another man and be a higher self or more mature, elevated, whatever. But that would have been a different person that comes from that relationship, from that true. union. Not even relationship, but it's just that it feels the moment of a connection. Maybe two seconds, right? Mm -hmm. That moment is in divine order. That moment was, in, in, as you judge that choice in hindsight, some, some, something bigger than you, because people have sex all the time and don't get pregnant, something bigger than you decided that that connection needed to happen in order to create that boy. Absolutely. And so that was a choice that you should always honor because when you frame it like a poor choice, he, he hears that and thinks that maybe she should, would have wanted a different outcome. Mm. And outcome, outcome is him. Like that's his, his existence. And so you never want to, you never want to replay the scenario, rewrite the story, and write him out of it. Because he hears that, right? There's some, somewhere, some, somewhere in him, he hears, well, if she didn't do that, then I wouldn't. And he might not put it together and articulate it in that way, but like, I just want to be, I would be very careful about just re, rewriting your story in, does, in a way that doesn't include him. So whatever had to happen to make him, to, to give you him, and to bring him into the world, whatever ancestors convened on both sides of your family to say this, they need to meet, they need to connect because this child needs to come through this portal in this moment mm -hmm. to exactly who he is. You will participate. You will participate in the, that in that miracle, uh, which is a very different frame than a mistake. Because of that, you have him, and you should always be grateful for that. Absolutely, I totally agree and, and yeah poor choice is the wrong um the wrong choice of words i i tr truly believe that you know 
my sons chose me as their mother. And I'm very grateful that, you know, I met the men that helped me to bring them into this world, you know, because when I first met them, I thought they were, you know, on top of the world. So I, I know that it was meant for us to connect, but I guess um, the poor choice that I'm referring to is, um, I guess I, it shouldn't be called a poor choice, but it should be, you know, not evaluating the type of man who I allowed in my space that will be more present with their son, I guess. So I don't know if the, if poor should have been the right word for it, but thank you for um, changing my perspective on that. Um, but my, my question is, um, um, what do majority of men think about women with children? Do they feel like it's a burden or like a blessing? Like I'm, Mm, you don't, as a woman trying to date and you're looking for serious partnerships, if that's what you're interested in, or just, you know, companionship or partnerships that are temporary, whatever you're looking for, um, you don't necessarily need the majority of men to move forward in that. You, you might just need one. You might just need a handful to start with. And so even if the majority of the men are too weak to appreciate and to step up and to deal with the complications that could come with dating a mother with children. Um, like when they, when they get annoyed or when they see that as a red flag, like that's like, let them go. Like don't, don't even worry about those men that aren't ready or those men that aren't mature enough for that. I know that I, I prefer women with children. Um, there's something about mothers that's really sexy to me. Mm-hmm. There's something about motherhood that I think brings, I know it was true for me, like my, my, my fatherhood elevated my, my humanness to levels that I couldn't even ever have imagined. Yeah. Like my capacity to love, my responsibility, my clarity, my, it's like I feel like I'm sharper and stronger than I've ever been because of my children. Yeah. And so I see that in women who have experienced that amazing process of life birth and then caring for and just the, the life choices that you have to do to, to do that in a way that's healthy. I, I think that's really powerful. There's a power that I see that I'm attracted to in, in mothers. Um, and so you want a man that's attracted to that. Mm-hmm. And the man on the fence is ambiguous or that's repelled by that. Like, is that what, you know, why he, why he is, why he is, it doesn't even really matter. Like just let him go. Um, and just continue to, as you were doing right now, and, and, and being clear about your purpose and waiting with purpose, um, just being, being who are you, the, the guy that sees the power in that, he'll, he'll, he'll come. Like you'll, you'll see, particularly in the way you're doing it, just by having your son around other, a bunch of mentors and exposing them to men, like you're gonna find men that um, see the power in that. Um, they, they typically will probably have their own children. I, I know just practically, it's easier for me to have children because like, you know, when I meet, when I meet new people and I'm saying, hey, let's go, you know, go to the park and hang out or go get something to eat. My boys, like the first thing my boys say, like, do they have kids? Because then it's, they prefer it, like it's easier for them. Yeah. So practically, once I had children, it was much easier to date women that also had children, particularly they were younger. Um, but anybody that sees it as a burden, 
or that sees it as a weakness. Like, you know, they're, they're at a time, it's not even, you know, a good or bad thing. It's not a thing to judge. They're just right. at a time in their life, they're in a season where they prefer something that's easier. Um, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with that. And, and and one thing that has happened with me just even during these three years of absence is that like my spirit of discernment has really heightened mm-hmm. to even detect, um, you know, when at first I would just kind of get really emotionally involved with a man and by that time realize, okay, well, he don't even like kids. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he got his own kids and he don't even like kids, you know, he don't take <laughs> right. care of them. Um, but now I'm, I'm able to really intuitive, intuitively like learn that before I even get emotionally involved, um, mm-hmm. just by tapping into my spirit of discernment. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much one of the reasons why I am still single, because I just feel like, you know, I haven't, I have not felt, you know, the energy of a man that I know that can come in, you know, and, and lead the household, you know. So, but that's another story. We're going to go right into the last topic um, because, um, like, there's this video going around social media with uh, Fantasia and her husband speaking mm-hmm. on submission, right? And from his perspective, he's pretty much saying that submission is something like a gift that men have abused. And, you know, he even goes on to say that it has been misconstrued as a dominant controlling type of energy towards a woman but it is more of like a trust energy from the woman that allows her to be um, submissive and he even goes to say like um like when she sees me land at the foot of the father she has no reason to withhold that from me um for me like you know and i think with many other women like we want to be submissive, right? Naturally, I feel like um, we as women, we have shifted to this dominantly masculine type of energy, like a, a doing action type of controlling, busy, competitive, aggressive type of energy. Um, when feminine energy is more, you know, receptive and it's more nurturing and surrendering, you know, and more allowing. Um, so, for me, I think that's where most women want to be, or at, or at least, you know, have that balance of both masculine and feminine. Uh, feminine. So, like, what are your opinions on submission? Uh, do you agree with his stance on it? And, um, yeah, what's your perspective on that? Mm, I think I see the whole thing different than I hear most people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't generally generally like the way we categorize masculine and feminine characteristics, okay. and then expect the men that present as men and women that present as women to carry how we have divided those characteristics. I've, I, in my own experience of being a man, um, I don't feel weak in any way. Like I feel very strong. I feel like very stubborn I'm very, I can be very I can be aggressive when I need to be aggressive but I'm also very nurturing I'm very compassionate um, I've had women think call me too soft just because you know I'm not like a yeller I don't, I don't I don't beat my chest I like poetry I like dance like I, I like things that you might typically would think women are more into I'm not into cars and sports like I've always been that kind of guy that 
like to listen and like to talk and like to read and write. And so because of those kind of characteristics, people have, you know, characterized me as a more maybe less manly man sometimes. I don't like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have a hammer. I don't, you know, I don't fix carburetors. Like I, don't, I don't do the traditionally kind of man stuff. Right. But it does, it never feels like it takes away from my manhood. Like for me, it's never been a chip that I never feel like I'm not man enough because I don't play football or care to watch football. Um, and I think that because of that, because of my own experience with that being naturally in my body and it never coming off like, like a, a altered sexual orientation. Like I never was attracted to me. Like it was, it was never that I was always felt very clear about my manhood and my attraction to women um, and my strength and me defining that in that way. Uh, and because of that, um, I see these traits as being more everybody's more human traits. I think that everybody needs to be nurturing when it's time to be nurturing. I think everybody needs to be aggressive when it's time to be aggressive. Um, I know, you know, I've seen somebody try to mess with a, with a, a woman's child and like you see a warrior quick. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I know, you know, I, I know a lot of the, the activism that's been happening in the Black Lives Matter movement has been spearheaded by, by women. I think there's a warrior quality that women inherently have that it's not, that when they apply that, does that make them acting more like men in that moment? I think it still is them being human and responding to a specific circumstance. And that that same woman or man, when it is required, so when there's a, you know, you put a, a baby in a man's hand, he shouldn't have to hold that baby in a manly way. You got to be as humble and nurturing and compassionate as possible. And I'm, you know, I'm very affectionate. I'm very, like, I'm touchy, all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, I kiss my sons a lot. I hug my sons a lot. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I'm more affectionate than the, the, the mother, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean I'm more of a woman than the mother. It just means that quality, I'm more comfortable with that quality of being in that circumstance. So I think that we've genderized what I consider to be normal human characteristics. Yeah, and let um, me... And let me just add something, because like what, how I see feminine and masculine, I see it as a, an energy that we all possess as human beings. I think it's like yin and yang. It without the other, the you know, it, they can't exist without mm-hmm. each other. And so, I think masculine is more of an of an external type of energy, where feminine is more of an internal. Not that it's more so man or female. Like I don't see it that way. I, I think we all should have uh, these energies um, collectively working together um, to be more whole. I, I think that as women, though, we have adopted this more external type of energy because of society is a really masculine action, um, really like competitive type of society. And I think that we have adopted more of that to where we kind of are letting our divine feminine um, lay dormant and um, and that's more of an energy like self-reflecting nur- nurturing type of energy um, that I feel we have kind of just like not showed more of so I totally agree I, I totally agree that these energies are for both men and women and, and it's a balance 
that we that we have to learn how to um to manage so i just wanted to put that out there like but it, i do understand that it has been um you know there has been these labels that masculine means man and you have to be macho and you know this right here and then this means women but i i do think it's like a yin yang type of balance that exists within the whole universe like i think everything mm -hmm. has a masculine and feminine type of energy to it um so, right. so i would so, say yeah. masculine and feminine i would say nurturing and and aggressive right? i think everything has qualities of themselves that are required in different occasions and i okay. think all humans need to have all of those things mm -hmm. the nurturing the compassionate the dominant when it needs to be dominant and submissive when we need to be submissive Absolutely. So i have a vision for a partnership where if i am with a woman who is better at finances than i am <laughs> to to dominate that area of of the house mm -hmm. if that's you know if you're good at that and if i'm a better cook then i should dominate that area of our house if i'm better at planning then that's what i do if she's better at organizing that's what she does um, so that it doesn't have to be, so we can we can decide what roles we play in the house based on who we are as people, and not be forced to have some pressure of a traditional role that all men with all, all the beings with penises and all the beings with breasts have to do with her things. Like, just I want us to have the flexibility to decide what's what makes sense in our house. Absolutely. And so, and so it doesn't mean that I serve the dominant role at all times and then she submits to that like i don't i don't have a desire to have a woman that submits to my dominance that, that's mm. not feeling that's not appealing to me okay um, i do have a desire to have a, a woman that wants to take care of me but i also like taking care of her like i want us to take care of each other i want us to to be partners in our caring for each other i want that to be i want us to compete against who's caring for each other more right <laughs> exactly. i want us to be like no i did, I did that you know <laughs> I gave you more massages this 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 month. <laughs> like, no, let me get you back. Like, I don't want that to be what we compete about. Um, and if sometimes that means, and if and if she enjoys cooking more, and that's what she does, then you know that's fine. But if I like cooking, like I should let's not. Together. I should, you know, let's do it together, or let me do it sometimes. Um, I just think that one of the things that has shifted as more women are, are working more is that we have to renegotiate all these roles yeah um and i think the quicker we do that the more peace that we'll have even in like marriages or co-parenting because we have a, I have a lot of men that feel like they don't have a role no more because they can't they're unemployed um mm. they, they, they don't know what else to do so they don't have not learned the value of just being present exactly. without providing for something mm -hmm. like without like you know, they, they feel like i can't contribute nothing if i can't bring money but they, they could be sitting on all types of skill sets. Exactly. Um, just the, the actual physical presence a lot of times just is a relief for for, for, for a mother. Um, but like we have, we're caught up in these these ideas that keep us distant and, and missing because we have not like had these conversations where we could say, no, I really, I need you to provide and protect, but that ain't gotta mean money or that ain't gotta mean punching people that come up into the space. Like for exactly. me, when I think about protecting women, it's not, it has nothing to do with physical violence against an, like, uh, an aggressor. For me, protecting women means having conversations with men about their emotional intelligence mm -hmm. and, doing, and, and doing that aggressively, right? 
um, yeah. if I was using these same languages, but like the tone and the, and, the, and the intention is different, but it's not weak. It's not soft. It's, 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 it's warfare, right? Like it's, it's serious. Exactly. It's, it's intense, but the, the, the direction and the intention of it is not just like beating things and hammering things and hard, hardness. I think there's a, there's a time and place for that. Um, but I think that time and place should not be in the, in the house. The hardness, the aggressiveness, the, the, that, that version of masculinity, if we call it that, or aggression, if we call it that, um, we, we direct to each other so much more than we need to direct to our real enemies. Yeah. So then we feel like, you know, and now, now, now we spin it in, 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 in place, just har- harming each other because we, not have, we have not given ourselves the value system that like at home is soft time for the man and the woman. Mm-hmm. At home is, is, is humble time, it's compassion time. When children around, everybody gets soft, right? And it's not a chip on nobody's masculinity or femininity. It's right. Just, what children need they need nurturing and compassion and sometimes they need hard but not like aggressive in a way that demeans or devalues so i think we need to renegotiate the whole thing i think we need to just have conversations from the from the root up about where we get these ideas from and how we can investigate what makes sense for us to continue to hold on to yeah (laughs) i i no but i yeah i totally agree like, I totally agree. We need to shift the narrative because what, what ends up happening, like you said, is, you know, we have men who are abusive and, you know, that makes them feel like a man and that makes them feel strong. And, mm-hmm. um, and I like the way how you said that, you know, provide, um, you know, being present in a child's life is more important than, um, you know, of course, finances is important, but sometimes we just want that presence and somewhere down the line, a man has become or feel like he's inadequate if he does not mm-hmm. contribute financially to a um, his child. And that just like, kind of like, you know, he falls back and just doesn't do anything. And, right. I, and so I think women, we need to be um, we need to let go of our ego and let a man know, like, no, we need you. Like, I can fix my own tire. I can buy my own groceries. I can do this. I can do that. But, like, no, we need you to be present here. Um, so I think that's very important. But, okay, so let's lighten it up. Thank you so much. Like, you really, you really, uh, you kind of shift my paradigm on, on some of those things. Um, so let's lighten it up for a second. What can you do today that you were not capable of doing last year? Mm, what can I do today that was I capable of doing last year? Um, I don't know. <laughs> We're going to come back to that. Come back to that. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. Okay. So if, if you had a million dollars, what's the first three things you would do? I would leave. I need, to, I need a vacation so bad. I Where do you want to go? Away. Any beach where black people are. <laughs> any Caribbean island would be fine. Okay. What else? Um, I would pay some people back that owe money to. Um, I would 
um, fix my house. I got house repairs. That Do you hear that sound? I'm sorry. No, what is that? Okay, so you don't hear that. Okay, give me a moment. Let me see something. I'm sorry to cut you off. Okay. Yes. So you would pay people back. You would take that vacation to Zanzibar, Africa. What, <laughs> what else? I would just do house repairs. House I, repairs. I, yeah. I, I don't need, I'm not a big money guy. Like I wouldn't like buy a Mercedes Benz. I would, I would keep the exact same car. I got like a little Chevy Cruze. I would keep that Chevy Cruze. Yeah. I wouldn't even buy anything else. Okay. Um, when is the last time you cried and why, if you don't mind sharing that? You don't have to go into mm. details. It's been a couple of months since I've cried. I I had a, like last summer, I was super depressed, crying a lot. Um, but I think I like cried all the tears. Like I was, I spent them all. And so after the, that summer and fall, just this, this year, things, I mean, I'm feeling a little bit stronger. Um, and not even so because things have gotten better so much, but just because I survived it. And so, yeah. um, can't remember the last time I cried, but I can cry on like movies. Like sometimes it can be just like <laughs> no, right? <laughs> there's times when I cry. I'm, I'm I'm really close with my sons, and there have been times when I like cry just because I appreciate them so much. Like it was, it's so beautiful for me. I know. So that's probably the last time I cried. Just thinking about how much I appreciate my boys. That's beautiful. Um. So, so what makes a relationship successful to you? What's, what's some of the things that you feel makes a relationship successful? Uh, my favorite relationships are ones in which I can be myself. Mm-hmm. I can be present. I can turn my phone off. I don't need no entertainment. It's just me and a woman just being together, entertaining each other, laughing, talking. Like, I just love the, the stillness um, of being in the right right kind of partnership um, but I also like to be able to say months have been have went by and I have changed or grown in some way mm-hmm. like relationships to to give something um, if we're just hanging out if it's just companionship it won't be fulfilling to me I like people to like add value to my life mm-hmm. okay so what makes a relationship successful is when people can grow and add value to each other, you think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so what do you look for in, in a woman? It's pretty much the same thing. Someone who can add value, physical attraction. Is there anything else specifically that you look for in a woman? Someone that's good in finances? I mean, what? Um, I, I love artists. I love women that are into culture stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I only look at black women. I don't even see nobody but black women. So I don't have to say that. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting, quirky, just, you know, off the beaten path. I like those kind of things. Okay. And so what is the best thing about being a man to you? The best thing about being a man is, um, I mean, there are certain male privileges that I acknowledge and appreciate. A lot of them, I think, have to do with just, like, physical safety. Mm-hmm. Um, just from women I talk to, like, y'all got to worry about so many more things than we have to worry about. Mm-hmm. I get to move freely in the world in a way that um, allows me the space to wonder and be curious and think about things. So I don't have to, like, watch my back. And, you know, I might get robbed or whatever, but, like, I don't have to 
I can go on a date without having to take the take a picture of the a, a woman's license plate. Yeah. Like, that. like I don't have these things that I just never even think about. Yeah. I never think about I never think about someone assaulting my body. Like just it's a it's a freedom and a privilege that um even as a black man that I uh, I don't take for granted. Okay. Well, that's good. Um so who is God to you, Obari? God, I um I think God of as the originator of all things, the beginning and the end, the 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 entity, the spirit, the energy that is in all places at all times. Mm-hmm. Thing that created itself and maintains itself and manifests itself in the infinite amount of things that we understand and, and don't in the universe, in the multiverses. Powerful. Uh, I, I particularly connect to language that understands that being that also connects to our ancestral lineages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spend a lot of time trying to trying to learn what we refer to as God and how we conceptualize that being before enslavement um, on the continent for millennia. So we had to have had some ideas even before a Bible was created. Mm-hmm. So a lot Absolutely. of work to, to go back and to study and reconnect with those those languages, those concepts, um, and try to think about how to apply those things to our present-day modern circumstances. Yeah, and when you start tapping into that, and like, well, that was powerful then, like, your, your whole paradigm shift, like, everything as mm-hmm. you know it shifts, right, and right. it's really scary to share that with people who has not made it to that. Mm-hmm. that concept yet um mm-hmm. so that was powerful so again what can you do today that you were not capable of doing <laughs> no, we're back we're back yeah we're uh, back <clears throat> what can i do today that i was not capable of last year um take your time there's got to be something. I feel like I would have wasted a year if I didn't learn something. <laughs> I know it's just on the spot, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I just feel like I've sharpened a lot of things that I could do. I, I don't have I picked up any new skills or abilities or talents so much. Do you I've think... Some, I've gotten better at all of the things that I can do. That's, that's fair. And and but and do you think that maybe you have become better with coping with your depression or when those those feelings come about? Do you think that you? Yeah, I would say, I would say that. Okay. I would say that I feel more able to deal with life's difficulties this year just because I lived through some. Okay. That I like two years ago. If you would have said this, things are going to happen. I was like, no, no way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they happened, and I, I'm still here. And so, great. I feel like there's a could live through things that I previously would not have imagined. Well, we're happy you're here today too. And how can we reach you? Like, do you have a website or any other social media handles? 
Yeah, I got all that. So I have a website, um, www.drobaricartman.com, D-R-O-B-A-R-I-C-A-R-T-M-A-N. Uh, and I'm on Instagram at ocartman1 and Twitter, same handle. I'm on Facebook, have a personal page under my name and a professional page under Dr. Obari Cartman. Some of okay. the best places to find me. Great. Well, thank you. This has been such a stimulating conversation, so full of uh, wisdom. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for bringing that energy to the show today. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast for more thought-provoking shows such as this one. Um, And thank you all for listening to another episode of Wait on Purpose. And remember, you are single for a divine purpose. I hope you find it and you continue to live your life in your divinity and personal power unapologetically. So until next time, love, peace, and light. Love this episode on Wait on Purpose? Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Until next time.